0: You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Welcome to First Christian. We are a group of people that are first Christians. We're following Jesus. That's what we're all about. And so we welcome you, especially if you're online. Some of our folks traveling or if you're joining us for the first time online, we're treating you as if you were right here with us. And to all those whose faces that we get to see and enjoy today, welcome. We are glad that you're part of the family uh, today. Well, I've been traveling. I thank you for allowing me to travel. I was in Altus, Oklahoma, helping sell off the family farm, where our family has been for 130 years. I'm the first since the 1880s to not be born in Altus, Oklahoma. And so we were there 105 degrees, 107 degrees, 109 degrees outside sharing grandma and grandpa's possessions with others. So I thank you for allowing me to be gone for those days. And it's been great, hasn't it, to hear different voices, different voices from this platform speaking the word of God. It's a blessing. So tomato, tomato, Potato, potato, now if you're asking my grandma, it's pretty obvious. It's tomato and potato. Now we we joke about that, but I wanna look at a different word, subject. Is it subject or subject? If you look at that word, the noun is subject. So whatever topic we're covering today is the subject. You can be a subject, a citizen of a country or a place. It's a thing that we talk about. To subject is to put someone under your control, to cause them to be dependent upon you. That's the verb part of it. If we go with adjectives and adverbs, it's again this, there's someone that's in charge, someone whose authority you're under. In this time on Sunday mornings over the last several months, we've been looking at the God process. God's process in our lives to stunningly, get this, to transform you and me into the image of Jesus Christ. How's that for a standard? Us looking like Jesus. In fact, this God process is not just you and I, but it's about God gathering up all things that we can see on earth. All things that are in heaven. So things that we can see and things that we cannot see are gathered up in Christ Now, when we hear that process, we might think that that's an individual process, that that's something God's doing personally to me, and I just need to download the software into my brain or or get some hardware on my body, and then poof, voila, I'm transformed to the image of Christ. Well, this is actually a community process. This happens in relationship. Uh, Check me with Jesus' words remember when he was asked what the greatest commandment was? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We cannot love God except by how we love other people. The manner, the method, the way that we learn to love God, the how to comes in our relationships, how we personally love one another. And I'll tell you, I don't know about your life, but in my life, loving people when they're the most unlovable ends up being the hardest challenge. Have you been on this end? Where you have to love someone when they're at their least lovable point, whether that's a child or a spouse or a friend. Loving people when they're unlovable is when this really gets put to the test and shows us how to love God by loving these other people in relationship. Well, today I have to kind of warn you with the passage that we're going to be reading. In fact, I had you sit down for the passage because it's shocking. It, it will burn your ears. It might even make you kind of well up with a little bit of anxiety as you hear these words read. We can't help it. And so before all this, I've got to keep the shock to a minimum and give you a little bit of background, a little bit of history, a blueprint that Paul is picking up with this passage. And it's called a household code. You don't have to remember that term. But way back before Paul, in the time of Aristotle, the Greco-Roman world used this thing called a household code. And basically, it's a method for organizing the house, of keeping the man, the male, in dominion over the household. And Paul takes this formula up and uses it. Now, the thing is that what we hear and what shocks us is different from what they heard and what shocked them. So I'm going to point out to you, I'm going to be your guide today, and point out what would have been shocking to them. So when I read this, I want you to be thinking about what's shocking to you. So one more way that I can explain this. We're pretty well familiar with watching movies, right? We pick categories, and so we know if we pick a certain category, we're going to get a certain formula. So comedy or mystery or whatever it is. So if we start watching a mystery, we expect that there's something that's unsolvable that happens. And the detective, she comes in and digging up clues, and finally gets to a point where she finds the clue that cracks open the case, right? We, that's just kind of what we expect. Scooby-Doo the perfect formula, always the same. Those kids in the mystery machine pull up to some haunted place, uh, they find things are not as they should be, they find some clues, finally they get someone that they capture in their trap, and they pull the mask off, and what does he say? I would have gotten away if it weren't for those silly kids. I mean, every episode it's the same. So when you break with that formula, when you break with that tradition, you know that something's up. So whatever it is, whether it's reality television or the Food Network, if they're just showing you a picture of the food and then they never teach you how to make the food, something is up. I think you're ready. We can take a look at this shock. It's a longer passage, so I also keep you seating so you don't pass out. Are you ready? Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-one. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything of any kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own body but he nourishes his body tenderly cares for it just as christ does for the church because we are members of his body for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a great mystery and i'm applying it to christ in the church Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling in the singleness of heart as you obey Christ, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. And masters... Do the same to them. Stop threatening them, for you know that both of you have the same master in heaven. And with him, there is no partiality. Well, when we hear these words, you probably were tallying up things in your head that are kind of shocking or surprising to you. And it is shocking. In the United States to think about talking about slavery again with all the freedoms that women have in our country to think about women having domin- or men having dominion over women it burns our ears. And so before we go applying it to our lives today, we've got to hear it as they heard it. Because in those early ears as they heard this passage, they did not hear restriction like we hear. They heard freedom and something of a radical call that our ears miss. So let's get started. Here's how I wanna do this. I'm gonna do three sets of three. The first set of three we're gonna look at are the things that would have not fit the formula for them. They're definitely not Scooby-Doo. Something is wrong with the story as they hear this text read. Are we ready? Well, the first one is about Being subject to one another. Now, there are lots of translators of the Bible. You could look at yours. Does this section begin in verse 22? Sometimes interpreters will put that paragraph heading there. Or does it begin in 21? In 22, it says, Wives, be subject to your husband. But the passage actually starts in verse 21 Be subject to one another. That would have been a wait, hold on, screech, throw on the brakes. This does not make sense. A little bit more that I want to tell you is that that verb, to be subject, is nowhere found in verse 22. It's only in 21. We are men and women to be subject to one another. We are masters and slaves to be subject to one another. That is a stunning and shocking reversal of the formula. Mutual submission is what Paul is calling for, and that is not what his culture is about. This is typically a patriarchal society, a male-dominated society. In these household codes, usually it's about telling the male how he is to have authority in his household. And yet, from the get-go, Paul says, we're all subjects to the Lord. We're all equal. We are all to be subject to one another. Well, that's the first one. Mutual subjection. That would have caught their ear. Second one is that husbands are commanded to love their wives. Now, wait a second. In a household code, you don't command the male to do anything. There's not commands for the male other than to take authority over their own household. And yet Paul commands the husbands to love their wives. There's two shocking things about this. One, the fact that they're being commanded to do something. And two, they're being commanded to love their wives. Now today, our our ears won't catch that. We think, "Well, well, sure, a husband should love his wife. But you will not find in household codes a man commanded to love his wife. Think about that one. There might be a few places where it might hint at love, but they do not use the word that Paul uses of agape love, this self-giving love. Paul stands alone in wrecking the household code formula by commanding husbands to love one another. Mutual submission and love are brought together as complementary practices, where these authority figures are supposed to love. Now, it shouldn't be new to us. I mean, if we look at what we've been covering in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved. How did he love? He loved by giving his life as a sacrifice for all. That's not gender-specific. That's for all of us to love in that way. Or even in chapter 4, verse 2, we are to endure with one another in love. We're to bear with one another in love. This is not new. But Paul keeps going in the command. He gives a lot of extra commands. Men, you're supposed to love women like you love your own body. You take care of your body. You feed your body. You clothe. It might be kind of questionable how you clothe your body at times, but you take care of your body, so you should take care of your wife. And then comes the hugest challenge of all, verse 25, where Paul gives a picture, a snapshot of what this love is supposed to look like, a love that's like Christ's love, Christ who gave his life for us. That's what it's supposed to be like. That's astounding. That's challenging. That's unbelievable. And so, the picture of someone who is wrongly accused, like Jesus, giving his life up for the sake of love and for the sake of mutual submission, that's what men are supposed to do for women. That's a pretty astounding picture. All right, we got one, we got two. Mutual submission, strange. Men being commanded to do anything, strange. Especially strange that they're commanded to love. The third one, all the roles in the relationships are addressed. All the roles, not just man. Paul shows value to each person in the equation, whether they're children or whether they're slaves. They're all brought to the table. Now, this is kind of interesting, because usually it's in the household codes, things given to the man of what they're supposed to do to get everybody to be under their authority. But Paul brings the slave to the table, the wife to the table, the kid to the table, and values them. Now, historically, you don't need me to tell you this, but historically, men have had more authority. We haven't always done well with that authority. And Paul uses uses this as a chance to say, yeah, with that authority comes some extra responsibility, some Christ-like responsibility, where all of us share together, men and women, in this responsibility of submitting to one another, of loving one another. Well, that's the first set of three. Mutual submission, commanding men to love wives, and that all roles are valued and addressed. Well, if we look at this, I mean, Paul's giving us some theological guidance here where he's lifting up Christ as the example for these three things, that we should imitate and exemplify the sacrificial love that Christ has. Well, even in Paul's time, this little household code doesn't fully portray the social order of the time. In Paul's time, women were heads of household, In Paul's time, lots of other family members lived at home, including people that weren't related to those other family members. And so here, in the same way Jesus kind of radically changes the world, Paul's words through the Holy Spirit also radically alter the world. They give a different look, a change, to where are we going to just come along and say, well, we need to reinstate slavery? Are we going to say, yeah, uh, men need to dominate women? That men are above and women are below? I don't think so. Which brings us to our next three. The next three are principles that we're drawing from this story, from what Paul has said in this household code formula, by what he's altered and changed. So the first one, mutual submission is to the Lord. It's to the Lord. When we look at what god did in creating us in genesis 3 and 4 and how we male and female messed it up the curse came and in jesus that curse is reversed it's transformed it's changed we are not to be people that are perpetuating that curse that burden that domination not at all in fact paul laid it out for us clearly in galatians chapter 3 that in Christ, there's not Jew and Gentile. There's not insider and outsider. In Christ, there's not slave and free. There's not male and female. We are all what in Christ? We are all one in Christ. That provides the principle that Paul and that Jesus has shown us by his sacrificial giving of his life. And so in our lives... We wear many disguises. We're parents, we're wives, we're husbands, we're workers, and it's in those disguises that we have an opportunity to mutually submit to one another as if we are serving the Lord. We don't see those disguises. We see that we are serving the Lord, taking on humility So there's a level of respect, but there's definitely a change, a transformation in how we're supposed to view all of these relationships, which is why I can say passages like this sometimes are misused, misused to promote abuse, to promote male domination. That's not called for. Folks, if you're in a relationship that's physically abusive, emotionally abusive, sexually abusive, this text is not encouraging you to stay in that relationship. There there is no authority for that whatsoever. Paul teaches us to be in submission to one another as to the Lord. We're to follow our parents in the Lord. If they're not in the Lord, if they're not exercising that authority properly, we do not need to stay in those abusive relationships at all. I would encourage you to get out. So the first of this next set. Mutual submission is to the Lord. Second, this passage gives us something. This passage gives us subjection. Not domination, not authority. The passage teaches subjection. It teaches us to be subject to one another. That's our gift. We're supposed to be as Christ was in the world. If you'll notice, the way that Paul addresses this by talking to women and to kids and to every role in this equation, he is encouraging us to take on this path where we are humbling ourselves towards Christ. It's not the normal way. The kingdoms of this world seek money and power and authority. And they want to seek that power in order to use it for their own benefit for their own good. That's not the kingdom of God. We do not seek power, money, and authority to use it for our own good. In the kingdom of God, we use those things for the good of other people. Do you see that? This passage gives us subjection. It gives us submission. It doesn't give us domination, where somehow we have rank over someone. This is not about ranking gender. And you might look at this and say, well, I guess the bible can just mean anything at all because i see there it says wives be subject well i think it's very easy to misunderstand to misuse and misrepresent scripture if we find any point where authority or hierarchy is to be encouraged by christ i think we're totally missing the whole christ story what he did on the cross we can't just take a flat literal reading of scripture because we're not cutting off hands that steal we're not gouging out eyes that lust we're not enslaving people and using passages like this to say we should we're not putting women below men no in fact if you're in a relationship right now whether you're a man or a woman and you're being the dominant one that you're tearing down and disrespecting the other one please stop That's not what this passage encourages you to do. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Don't misuse or misrepresent Scripture in order to prop yourself up with authority, because this passage doesn't give authority. This passage gives submission and subjection. All right, so it gives us mutual submission to the Lord. It gives us subjection, not domination. And third, and this is quite similar, this passage doesn't give us rights. It doesn't give us rights that we can demand or dictate from other people. The passage gives us not rights, but action. Where the Christian action in any relationship is to be in subjection to Jesus Christ. To become transformed in this God process of being like Christ. And that's why Paul can speak to women and to men, to slaves and to masters, to parents and to children, and encourage them in a way that raises up their status to say, no, you're at this table too, where we are having the same master. Could there really be anything more shocking in this text that we might miss by our modern ears than telling a slave and telling a master, you both have the same master? We are all at the table together, and we don't have rights that we can demand. We are laying down those rights for others. In fact, I would add, if there's someone in your, relationship, in your relationships in life that has to demand your respect, that has to command you to do something or threaten you to do something, they're not exercising Christ's leadership whatsoever. That's not it at all. You have to almost ask, well, why? Why do they have to threaten and demand and scream and yell? I don't care if they're your dad or your cousin or your boss. There's a different way, a way that Christ shows us. So, in a passage where we might expect husbands to be given a whole lot of authority, we don't find that. It's not about control. It's not about rights. It's about laying those things down. Where... Submission is not just something for women, it's something for all of us. You know, today and in recent weeks, there's been a lot of discussion, right, about rights that are out there. Who has what rights? And I don't have answers for you today. I don't have any uh, straightforward, uh, oh, here's the answer but if we look at this text and we see this example of mutual submission and love and imitating the life of Christ, I do have an approach that we might could take. You know, what if we were to let women lead the discussion on things pertaining to life related to them? What if we were to let them lead the debate? Now, would they all see the same thing the same way? No. But I think that's a mutually submissive thing for men to do, to let women make those choices. Maybe even we don't vote, men. We let women vote for things. Now again, does that provide any answer? No. Does that stake a position? No, but it makes us think about what it looks like to live in mutual submission and love to one another. Well, I have to tell you, it's strange to come to a text like this. And to have to hear it with ears that aren't my own. Because sometimes the literal truth of an ancient text gets lost to our ears. But I can tell you, and I hope maybe you can see it today too, that the real subject is Jesus Christ. And he is inviting us to be subjects of Jesus. Which brings me to my final three things. Three things that I want us to hear. They won't be surprising because we've already covered them, but I want to say it in a different way, because a lot of times people come to Scripture, a passage like this and others, and they will use it to continue something like slavery. They will use it to continue racism or the abuse of women, to treat women as if they are doormats, and that's not what this is about. Christ brings a new world, a world that we as Christians step into and live in right now through mutual submission, through our love, and through the ways that we value one another. So here are the three things. We are all subjects of Jesus Christ. We must remember what the real subject is. It's Jesus, and we are subject to him. Two, this subjection is a subjection of sacrifice. It's not like the headship that's in the world. It's not the authority that's in the world. It's about sacrifice. We don't think about being in charge or or forcing other people to do what we want. This is about how we can act as the one showing submission and showing subjection. Third, this subjection is about submission being a strength, not a weakness, unless you think of Jesus as being weak, someone who is willing to be falsely accused to go to death in order to show the great love and submission of God, gave his life away so that we could give our lives away, so that we could imitate and emulate Jesus whether we're a husband or a wife, a parent or a child, a boss or an employee. Now, today, as we get to the end of this three sets of three, you've got a lot to think about, right? There's probably a lot that's on your heart. And we're going to have a special time of prayer now, a time that we can engage in where we've, we can have some reflection. And what I want you to do is if you feel like you've got room to grow in any of your relationships, we're going to be praying for growth. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you feel like you could grow as a husband or a wife or an employee or a, or a boss or a child or a parent, then I'd like you to stand up. We're going to bring the lights down low and we're going to enter a time of prayer. Uh, I'm going to be standing up here We're going to have a few of our elders in the back if you need someone to pray with, because it could be that you want to go alone to confess and repent. It could be that you want to go together and confess and repent so that we can all be in submission to Jesus Christ. Let's enter this season of prayer now.